Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that Thanksgiving is over, albeit by just a few days, the holiday season is officially underway. But there was always something a little strange, perhaps even far-fetched for me about this time of year when I was growing up. Because see, growing up, even in Southern California, you still had the familiar Christmas decorations. And you still sang all the familiar Christmas songs. People would put lights up to mimic fake icicles and cover their trees with fake snow and proudly belt the lyrics, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas or let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. And I could never quite shake the fact that everyone always knew the whole time it was most likely going to be 75 degrees and sunny for most of the month of December. Well, maybe like a kid growing up in Southern California in December, when the Southern Kingdom, when Judah and those in Jerusalem heard the words that we heard at the start of our service from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, they too found them to be just a little bit unrealistic. Unrealistic when Isaiah says, In the latter days the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain. All nations shall flow to it, and people shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. You can almost hear the words of those who would scoff, the naysayers at such a statement. What are you talking about, Isaiah? How could you possibly say that all nations are going to come to the house of the Lord? You've got to stop living in the clouds, Isaiah, and get back to the reality that's right in front of you. Or even, Isaiah, you're being downright crazy, thinking that nations are going to come. Sure, other nations might come to Jerusalem, but it won't be to worship God. It will be to destroy his temple and then destroy us, his people, while they're at it. And how could you even say that unbelievers, Gentiles, other nations would show such respect and honor and trust in God when we ourselves here in Jerusalem don't even have much interest in doing that? See, at this time in Judah's history, they were much more concerned about making themselves a great earthly nation again than they were about making themselves a godly nation. In fact, just after our reading ended, in the rest of Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah details just how obsessed Judah was at the time with getting the things of the world, saying, "'Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures.'" There is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the works of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. They had no real true interest in walking in the light of the Lord, but were concerned with simply enriching their own material well-being so that maybe they could finally get to live like everybody else. We may no longer be in the direct historical context of Jerusalem and Judah 
in the 7th century BC when Isaiah gave this prophecy. But consider for a moment just how realistic the struggles and the sins of Judah and Jerusalem are in our lives still today. Perhaps when you hear that prophecy from Isaiah, you too struggle to see how God could be drawing all nations to his house, especially when it only seems like fewer and fewer people care about going to church. Or when, in just a few days' time, many people won't see the benefit in coming to receive God's gifts of his word and sacraments at a Wednesday Advent service. Or perhaps even in your own life, when you struggle to keep worship, coming to God's house in its place of importance, when there are just so many other things you could seemingly be doing instead. Or perhaps when you read that prophecy from Isaiah, you struggle to think how God will be established above all things. Because you look out and all you see is the fear and respect and honor of God being relegated and diminished in the minds of so many people. And it's hard for you to imagine that he would judge the disputes of all nations and they would take their instruments of warfare and turn them in to instruments of peace. Well, because not only do you see conflict and warfare all over the globe even today, but even when you look at your own life and the conflict and the anger and the hurt and the pain and the strife that exist even in your own relationships, those conflicts we have in our home, the fights we have with our friends and family, and even the conflicts and arguments that we sometimes have with fellow Christians or the church. Isaiah's encouragement at the end of our reading, to come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, is not just some nice encouragement, but it's also a very realistic reminder of how often God's own people fail to keep his word fail to walk in his ways and heed his instructions. God's word through the prophet Isaiah is that far too often the people of God ignore what God desires for them. And yet, in the midst of the sinful realities that were going on in Judah, in the midst of the sinful realities going on in the world today, And in the midst of the sinful realities of our own lives, God has not closed off his light from you. Nor has God hidden his light for you in your life. Rather, in the coming of Christ, the light of God is revealed to us and the grace and mercy of God shines brightly through him. It is as Christ himself, when he's speaking of himself, says in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, God's light is not gone, nor is it even faded from this world. That's what Paul had to remind the Roman Christians in our epistle reading. That although so often the world and even God's own people sleeps on the light and his promise for them in their life, Paul is clear. The hour has come for you to wake 
from your sleep, that there's no more hitting the snooze button for the night is far gone and the day is at hand. Paul is clear just as Isaiah is clear and Jesus Christ himself is clear. That because of God's light, the light that would be made known to us in Jesus Christ, the hour has come for us to cast off the things of darkness, to throw away the sinful desires of the flesh that would attack us and put on the armor of light, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That because of God's light, we are truly called as God's people to walk properly in that light, to walk properly in Christ. God's light is a light that is freely given to us, a light we receive in his gifts like the proclamation of the forgiveness of your sins, the gifts of our baptism and his word, and even in the gifts of his own body and blood given and shed for you. We don't walk in the light of the Lord so that somehow we earn extra forgiveness or somehow we tally enough things in the good column so that we can buy for ourselves the promise of eternal life. But because in Christ you have those things, God calls you to walk in that light. That as Christ came into the world to be that light for all mankind, you today so too have that light. The light we are reminded of in Advent came to this world of sin and darkness as the shining fulfillment of God's grace and his mercy and his plan of salvation for you. And as we draw closer to the celebration of Jesus' first coming, celebrating with things like an Advent wreath, which will display more and more light as we get closer to that day of celebration we are reminded that in Advent, we are not just living in anticipation of that celebration the day when he first came, but also living for the celebration of that day when he will come again. And that as we live in the Advent of Christ's second coming, as those redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are to walk properly in that light he so freely gave us. Even as sinners, as those people who fall so short of what God desires for us to be, we are called to live in anticipation of that day when the Lord will come again. And we are called to live for that day in a certain way. We get to live in anticipation of the reality of what the prophecy of Isaiah describes. Anticipation of the reality of what John describes in his revelation when we will be walking in the light of the Lord eternally. Removed from the darkness and the sin and the pain and the hurt of this world. And in a city that has no need for sun or moon because the glory of God illuminates it. And the Lamb, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb is its lamp. We get to live in the anticipation of that salvation and that life that God himself died in order to give to us. And so as we live in that anticipation, as we live as children 
of the light, as children of God, as brothers and sisters of Christ. Let us truly cast off those works of darkness, the works of sin that attack us. And let us be encouraged by that same word of God that Isaiah so desperately pleaded with Judah to listen to. To come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Now the peace of God which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.